Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and you are very welcome along to this week's episode of the Group Chat Podcast from Virgin Media News. I am political correspondent Gavin Riley, joined in studio by news correspondent Richard Chambers. Richard, hello. How are you, Gavin? And joined from New York, New York, by the news correspondent so good they named her twice, Zara King. Zara King, how are you? <laughs> hello. Hi, guys. How are you? How are you keeping? Uh, obviously, people will probably have guessed that you're in New York for UN business, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes' time. Uh, but first of all, uh, if you're watching this on Virgin Media 1 on Wednesday night, uh, you're probably sick to death of the sight of us already because we've already been on Gogglebox. Or at least we hope we've been on Gogglebox because there's so many families in Gogglebox that honestly we don't know how much or how little of us uh, you might have seen. Uh, we filmed that uh, across the weekend. It was great crack. Uh, I had the Richard and Zara over to my parents' good room because there wasn't nearly enough space. In gorgeous my room as the people of Ireland will so agree. so nice though. Their hospitality was so cute. Your mom made the most gorgeous scones and everything. It was brilliant. She went full Susie Homemaker uh, for everyone. But no, she was delighted to have everybody. Uh, Richard, how did you find the experience and meet hospitality? It was smashing. Um, the room was uh, salubrious, um, gilded, very comfy as a couch. Uh, it was weird, I suppose, actually being back in a situation where I was watching TV on a couch with Zara, having done so for many years previously yeah. in a previous living situation. Uh, but it was great. It was wild to sort of see it all sort of like, you know, you know, unfold, having, you know, watched the show so many times on the other end of it, you yeah. know, on, on a TV screen to be like on the other side of it and be filmed watching TV is kind of weird and kind of alien, but it was uh, really enjoyable. And it was just like a nice mix of different things to, to have a look pour over as well. Delving deep into the Virgin Media slash TV3 archives. Yeah, it was amazing how many bits that you'd forget existed at all. Like I, I had effectively expunged Celebrity Salon from my mindset, but I was delighted to have a little reminder of it. It was a, what a cracking little piece of TV3 archive uh, that was. Absolutely uh, sensational, I have to say. Uh, Zara, what did stood out at you from what we got to see when we were doing Gogglebox? Um, I actually really loved the Twink dating show. It was just so random. Like they had a whole audience of single women and like three single men on the stage and it was kind of just totally, I mean, I didn't even remember that. Did you guys remember that show? I have no recollection of that occurring at all. Um, there's actually a lot of bits in that that I have no recollection of at all. Like the, the box, the, the thing in Smithfield with the Perspex box. And Apparently that was a big deal. Apparently that was a big deal. I was talking to a couple of people about that. And apparently that was a huge time. That was well, a big, a BFD is what they described that as. <laughs> But like, listen, there's a few things there which are fit for a reboot at this point yeah. in time now, you know? I think Twain's dating show needs a comeback to her. I mean, but a lot of the crews that I spoke to have been working in like TV3 since day one were telling us that they didn't remember the box and stuff. But there's been so many programs over the last couple of years. I think the one thing that we took away from it is that there was a big investment in big productions back in those days. And some of them probably shouldn't have been made. <laughs> but they were very good. Wow, put uh, the boot in. I mean, it's funny to back in them now. I did enjoy, you know, like the different, 
like the news coverage and everything was so different and no it was cool actually so today as we record it's tv3's birthday so happy birthday to virgin media slash tv3 um, 25 you're looking fabulous in a small illustration of how small the world is I found myself on radio this morning uh, talking to Alan Cantwell who was filling in on LMFM when he mentioned the anniversary and even he seemed to have forgotten so much of the, the bits and pieces that we got to watch for Gogglebox um, so that went out a couple of hours ago hopefully everyone uh, enjoyed it and hopefully everyone enjoys my parents good room don't ever let yourself think that somebody working in Dublin uh, with a mortgage and two children can afford a good room that looks as salubrious as that um, Zara you best explain to us uh, obviously what you are doing in New York for people who haven't been watching the news to know what you're up to over there yeah, so um, myself and Joni are here for the United Nations General Assembly. So this is uh, what they call speed dating for diplomats. It's kind of a weekly event that happens uh, here in New York where world leaders uh, from all across the globe come to discuss uh, the issues that affect the world. So uh, the Taoiseach, the Taunashta, the Green Party leader Eamon Ryan and the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly, they're all here this week. They're all here for various different meetings, um, you know, conversations, speeches. So uh, the Taoiseach actually will give his speech on Friday here. So yeah, it's a busy week. Um, I suppose a lot of the main topics that are coming up or obviously the war in Ukraine um, getting back on track for the sustainable development goals that sounds like a very lofty thing and I appreciate that maybe you know people listening might be going what's the sustainable de- development goals I mean I suppose it's a framework for how the world should be there's 17 of them it includes things like ending world hunger uh, reaching climate targets you know they are actually quite when you break them down accessible but I think you know we were talking to the Thornish about this this week and saying how do you actually you know explain to people back home who are going about their daily lives what the sustainable development goals are and why they're important and Michal Martin was kind of saying that well look if you were to take world hunger, maybe as one example, you know, Ireland as a famine nation would know all about that situation. And, you know, that it's, there is ways of connecting with people, but also that um, ultimately everyone needs to get on board for these goals to be achieved. Now, the goals, a lot of them, you know, are not on track for the target of 2030. And I think everyone kind of, you know, accepts that broadly, but yet they're not planning on moving the goalposts. They're still aiming for 2030 on a lot of these goals. So, yeah, it's a busy week. A lot of, you know, very important people around New York. And, you know, they're all sort of bumping into each other in the UN headquarter building and having a bit of a chat and the security here is so tight I mean you can literally walk you know I mean you walk like 30 seconds and there's another cop on each three corners so it actually feels very safe here because there's literally so much security I thought it was a mad sign of actually how secure the place is that I was watching the live feed yesterday when Joe Biden finished his address on, on Tuesday evening. And then immediately they were like, right, we need to spend uh, business for five minutes while we let all the security clear out. And I kind of thought it was mad that you have other like presidents and prime ministers basically sitting in the auditorium waiting for their chance to go up. But they're being made to sit there and not even stand up for five minutes because Joe Biden uh, needs to get out of there. Um, you mentioned getting to see so much of the teacher in Taunashta. And this is fascinating because ordinarily, even those of us who work here on a daily basis don't get to talk to a Taoiseach or um, every day for multiple days at a time. Uh, and it's been fascinating getting to see them so often because it, it just kind of highlights that more often than not, they aren't always on the same hymn sheet. Yeah, that's been kind of interesting. So, you know, the first day that we were here, the Taoiseach did a doorstep with us and um, he brought up this... Um, so one of the things that's coming up this week and actually today as we speak it's going to be the main thing on the agenda is pandemic preparedness and just a whole conversation around how countries handle COVID-19 and what to do for future pandemics and um, Leo Radker was asked about when the COVID inquiry would take place in Ireland and he just sort of went off on a kind of a a bit of a chit chat about it and he ended up sort of without even really being asked actually um, saying that he felt the government had made a couple of um, you know wrong decisions along the way he said broadly he felt that they had done everything quite well but he was very upfront in sort of admitting the things that he didn't think were um, 
you know, were right decisions. So including uh, Christmas of 2020, so there shouldn't have been any sort of reopening, that that was um, a critical turning point for Ireland's um, pandemic in a, in a sense that obviously the Alpha variant, um, you know, claimed a lot of lives in January of 2021. So, you know, he was very upfront about that. And then he talked about things like he felt that schools had been closed for too long. He said the building of houses had stopped for too long. There was a couple of things there. So when we met the Taunashta then later in the day, Michal Martin, who bearing in mind was the Taoiseach at the time of Christmas of 2020, when that decision that Leo Varadkar thinks wasn't right was made. Um, you know, at that time, it was, Leo, was Michal Martin making the decisions and we said to him, look, Leo Varadkar thinks that was the wrong call. What do you think? And uh, he doesn't agree with that. He does not agree with that. Michal Martin said that, uh, you know, you can't just pick, you know, decisions, cherry pick decisions here and there and say this was right and this was wrong, that he feels it was a much more multifactorial uh, thing and, you know, that all Ultimately, um, the decision making around that time um, was done in the moment. And actually, Michal Martin told us that he is considering uh, writing a book. He did recognise and said that uh, Richard Chambers has written a book, Jack Horgan Jones and Hugh O'Connell have written books. So maybe I'll have to write a book myself. So uh, I did ask him, has he got something in the pipeline, as the girlies would say, but he doesn't have a book deal in the pipeline, but he's definitely considering writing his version of events. But sorry, just on that point you were making there about um, the differing views. Another thing that came up that day, Gavin, you were covering that story, was the idea of the government considering the first-time buyer's grant being extended to second-hand homes. You know, this is something that um, Dara Bryan is supposedly considering for the budget. This is a, one of these many policies that kind of gets floated out there before the budget comes out. Um, Miho Martin, when I asked him about it, uh, said that he didn't have any concerns about if that happened, would it drive up house prices? He said it hadn't happened before. Whereas an hour later, the Taoiseach said, Leo Varadkar said that actually, of course, that would be a concern that house prices would go up. So even on that one policy that's kind of out in the ether being floated at the moment, they seem to have very differing views. Uh, which is uh, all pretty remarkable. Uh, Richard, uh, my throwaway was uh, kind of ruined there because I was going to be like, sure, no need to write a COVID book. Sure, that's already been done. And I know people's eyes will maybe sort of glaze over a bit or they might feel a bit triggered by mentions of the pandemic. And we'll talk about it again when we get closer to an inquiry later in the year. Um, but is, is the fact that they're sort of both there, Leo Varadkar and Michal Martin, and they're not getting a chance to sort of have all the stuff worked through the usual sort of machinery of government. Mm. It is kind of fascinating when they're left out of their comfort zone that suddenly then they, they find themselves slightly departing in ways you don't get at home. Yeah, I like I'm, I was looking back at some of this because I, I think we've heard similar enough comments before. I think there's an element of this and I'm not going to pull back from this. I think there's an element of these are things which both of them have said before in different ways mm. and it just becomes a bigger deal because they said it abroad. Do you know that sometimes, especially now when we come out of a dull recess yeah. and a lot of political journalists haven't been you know, on the tales of the Taoiseach and Taunashta all the way through or other reporters haven't been on, like, chatting to them non-stop. I think we kind of lose sight of, like, what actually has been said before and what hasn't been said before. Mm. So I think there's an element of that. I don't think that, I think, I'm pretty sure Leo Varadkar said that before about, oh, well, Neffet didn't say this about Alpha and blah, 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 blah. It's all going to come out in the wash anyway. We're all going to be back and forth over it. I think one of the most interesting things this week was actually, once again, another sort of a disagreement with the president on it. Um, yeah, this was interesting. So it's very fascinating timing by the president to start having a go at the UN and how irrelevant or dysfunctional it might be when his own Taoiseach and Astonished are there at it. And again, I th again, it, it bears saying, I think he's also made these comments before, as well as Michael D. Higgins. Mm. But I think the world is getting a little bit more focused and coming around to his view on how the United Nations works on these things. Mm. Because we are in the middle of a climate emergency and we are, we are now beginning to see real, real, real impacts of that over the course of the last number of months, whether that be wildfires, uh, horrendous flooding of an unprecedented nature in Libya um, and various natural disasters along the way, which all have been contributed to 
by the climate crisis. And you have all of the world leaders uh, in various shapes and forms gathering in one city um, to talk about how to handle these crises and nothing really ever coming out of it. And I know we've talked about the United Nations and it sets the sustainable goals. Antonio Guterres is actually one of the strongest um, spokespeople on how bad the world has Mm. been doing at managing the climate crisis. But again, he admitted himself this week that he's ultimately powerless, Mm. that he has nothing that he can really do about it. And I think that Michael D. Higgins, I think think we talked about this in the pod last time we were doing this. Yeah, possibly. This is not a place to get action done on the things which matter the most to the world and the things we need to be shouting about. Like the United Kingdom government is now tearing itself apart over net zero and its yeah. commitment to whether or not mm. to go to net zero. Like this is, this is balderdash. This is absolute madness. The world leaders have no commitment to fixing and saving the planet which is burning in front of their eyes. It's great stuff. Side note, the way, I remember going to COP26 in Glasgow two years ago yeah. when a British government minister was chairing all of that and they were talking about how we needed to get to net zero by 2050 and, and get, you know, speed up the production of electric cars and all that. And now they're like, eh, Inconvenient. Yeah. Um, Zara, I know we've only got you for a couple more minutes before we're going to have to let you go because uh, you've got a big day of, of appointments and things to go and report on. Just on that criticism from Michael D. Higgins, does that feel like a bit of a, a kick in the nads to so many government ministers when they're over there trying to make good on the promise of the UN and they're being told by the head of state at home that it's all a bit futile? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think the reaction from them yesterday was that uh, they sort of like, I think they were a bit taken aback, well, maybe not taken aback because he said it before. He said it last year, in fact, when I was here, and um, Michael D. Higgins, that he felt that this was a talking shop, that really it was a complete waste of time. But actually, you know, Michal Martin said, for example, you know, the United Nations, he said he didn't know where the world would be without the United Nations. And he cited his trips to places like Africa and the Middle East. And uh, he cited things like the World Food Programme. And he said that the United Nations was doing incredible work. I think perhaps the conversation maybe isn't necessarily about... You know, good versus bad maybe it's that as Richard points out there is it good enough you know what I mean like it, there's probably no disputing that you know there is good work happening but whether or not uh, as you say it's getting close enough to those uh, ambitious sustainable development goals and actually achieving the things that we need to achieve for a modern world in 2023 and um, you know perhaps is the United Nations uh, you know operating maybe what what their level of operation is right now might have been great 10 years ago but actually in terms of moving forward and growing and developing maybe you know maybe they can do better and maybe uh, Michael D. Higgins might have a point there um, you know and Eamon Ryan you know really felt as well that you know the United Nations is playing a key role you know so definitely the leaders who are here attending the meetings and having the conversations and um, they don't entirely agree with Michael D Higgins and um, there's definitely you know there's probably both sides are probably right and both sides are probably wrong in some ways but I think it's an interesting conversation like you know I mean everyone has to look inwards you can't you know I don't think it's fair to have a week like this and go oh aren't we all brilliant and clap each other yeah, on the back we've all come to true. New York and yeah. had important lofty conversations you know actually the truth is that uh, the United Nations probably does do very good work but the question is whether it's good enough in the world we're living in right now maybe that was good enough 10 years ago but maybe it needs to move on and it needs to grow a little bit more Yeah it's certainly fascinating when you've been there two years in a row and heard the same debate happening two years in a row whether you think there is any movement uh, in the meantime we know that you have places to get to so we will let you go thank you for joining us uh, from New York and maybe we might pick Thanks, your brain guys. more on that when we get to see you again next week Later Zara Bye uh, now, here's a segue uh, from the UN General Assembly in New York to the National Ploughing Championships at Rathaniska in County Leash. Although, I don't mean to, to sound glib in saying that because there's a fair chance that more gets done at the National Ploughing Championships oh, than actually best. gets done you at the UN General Assembly. Uh, dealing with all the lofty, uh, high diplomacy of uh, agriculture and whatnot is Paul Quinn, uh, who is then in Rathaniska for us this week. But Paul, we, we'll talk about what's going on and how many people are there and, and what kind of happens and the cultural sort of aspect of it. First of all, how's the weather been today on day? Day two of all of that. 
I had to laugh because just before the 12.30 news, the weather had been amazing. So I told the guys back at base, the weather's looking really good. And literally before we came on air was the first really heavy shower of the day. So you have all seasons here in one day down at the ploughing. Look, it's definitely been better than it was on day one. Day one was a bit of a nightmare, complete washout. It didn't let up raining all day long. And rain from the last few days before that, it was just a bit of a nightmare. There was... A lot of muck, let's say that. Uh, today, much better. The sun is shining at the minute. Um, but, yeah, a couple of showers. But, yeah, everyone in definitely in better form. Can I ask, because, like, I've seen now, just even in the two minutes that we've been chatting to you, uh, and the sun is shining and all that sort of stuff, and you can see it does look very mucky. But the amount of people walking past eating 99s behind you is absolutely <laughs> staggering oh, to my yeah. mind. What's the deal with the 99s? I know. Well, look, Why not? <laughs> I mean, it's Ireland, yeah. <laughs> 99 at any time. Um, even that, we, we used some, some of that in our news VT yesterday. Like, it wasn't exactly, like, it was literally, we had a shot of a guy and the rain was coming down. He was eating the 99. He was just, like, looking up at the sky, like, wondering when is the rain going to stop? And, like, that is, that is literally the ploughing right there. So it is. Now, in fairness, Engineers Ireland has a special robot that is serving up ice cream and handing that Beautiful. out to people as well. Okay. So maybe that's part of it. And the tent is only around the corner. Uh, there's no chance that Engineers Ireland could work on some kind of automated drainage system to try and make the whole thing run slightly less sloppily by any chance. Um, so the weather, okay, you, you've said it's been fairly okay yeah. for day two. It was drizzling, if not bucketing down, all weekend and for a lot of day one. Now there's been a bit of footfall, but it's been dry. Is it just now a total mud bath or how's the site actually holding up? Yeah, look, it's an 800-acre site. Now, 500 acres of that is for a car park alone. Even just on the car parks, trying to get out yesterday evening, let me tell you, was tricky. There was a lot of cars. I got lucky. I managed to get some bit of traction on the ground and I got away, but there was cars all around me being towed out, people pushing cars, the muck was flying up into their faces. Uh, There's crews on the ground and they were doing their best to get people out of here, but you can imagine uh, the number of cars that they were trying to help. Now, overnight, they did a lot of remedial work around the area. They're using other backup uh, fields as car parks today as well, so I was actually put into a different car park uh, this morning. But the site, the certain parts of the site is absolutely insane. It's proper, it's like a swimming pool of muck, and that's no exaggeration. And of course, any of the young kids that are going around, what do they want to do? They literally just want to run straight through it. Um, so you have a lot of that going on. But then other parts of the site, up near the actual ploughing fields, that's much better because it's probably on a little bit of higher ground. But yeah, the crews are working flat out as well here, just trying to keep things um, going for the next couple of days until uh, they get to tomorrow evening. Is that your electric car then that made it out of the muck? Like, there's been a lot of talk about whether or not yeah, electric cars elect- could go elect- through. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> This isn't my first rodeo, and I was not going to bring in the electric car down to County Leash. So I got a little rental, one of those little white dinky ones. It's definitely oh, not going to be job. white uh, by the time the ploughing is over. Can you imagine if I brought the electric? No, that'd be a whole different story. Get the power wash out. You're knocking around it. Dublin in the next couple of weeks, and you see yeah. a go-car that's got that sort of brown leashness caked into it. You know exactly who brought it down. Um, Paul, that's me. in all seriousness, though, this is big business. Like Even with the, with the weather being a bit of a dampener on day one, you're still talking 66,000 people going down there. And for people who've never been, the scale of the exhibition area and like the trade that's done there, like it's an enormous operation. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. I heard someone saying it's basically like the electric picnic for farmers. And that's really what it is. I mean, Strab Valley Electric Picnic was literally just two kilometres away in, uh, in separate fields down the road. 
It's so hard to explain uh, what the ploughing is all about. As you mentioned at the top, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of political uh, power down here over recent days. They're usually down for day one, uh, pressing the flesh. There's all the big farming groups as well, of course, different farming issues uh, throughout the year. But then there's all these kind of stalls and stands um, selling everything and anything. Someone said to me today that there's a, a crowd uh, uh, not too far from here that's called uh, Pimp My Pet. So they provide uh, sporting jerseys and rugby jerseys, GA jerseys for your pets. So definitely going to have to go and have a look at that. But there's absolutely everything that you could imagine at the plough. And it's really hard to kind of explain what goes on. And even from a reporting point of view, how you report on it, it can be, it can be so hectic. Like earlier on this morning, we uh, had to get to do um, a doorstep with Norma Foley, obviously on the changes around the leave insert. And literally we had to finish that up. We had to finish it as quick as we could, run over to the Welly Throne competition because clearly that's the to. highlight of the to. day. Mokra. Yeah, Makra today set a new uh, record or breaking a new record that 995 people in a field throwing their wellies up in the air at the exact same time. The previous record back in the UK five years ago. So uh, Makra and everyone involved clearly delighted with themselves. The agriculture minister was in the thick of it. He was throwing his welly in the air. I won't lie, we did get a welly to the head. It was a bit chaotic in there at the minute, but we got good shots. So that's the main thing. Bodies on the line in the the, the name of news, Paul. That is the thing I always think whenever I've covered the ploughing over the years like there's the commercial end of it and the amount of stuff that is done you know through um, you know selling equipment machinery all that sort of stuff there's the social element of it I think is underplayed as well where you have people who wouldn't ordinarily get a chance to meet from different corners of the country exchanging ideas as well as you know food promotion all that sort of stuff the Lidl and Aldi cowboy hats have been uh, I think resuscitated once again this year they were a a favourite a couple of years ago but it's just it's a mad thing to just be around it's a mad thing to just be down there in the middle of and the logistics of it are so hard even when the sun is shining and it is all good so I can't imagine what it's been like over the last couple of days I mean what what are the organisers saying because obviously you say like the attendance has sort of dropped down because of how bad the weather has been like I know previously I think it was 2018 there was Storm Alley and they cancelled oh, it after yeah, day one yeah. because of how bad it was. But like, yeah. I mean, what's, what's been the view from organisers? Are they happy enough with how things have gone in spite of everything? Or are they a bit like, damn, we were cursed with the weather here this year? Look, I think I think they're going to put a brave face on it anyway, and they're going to they're going to say that they are happy with the situation. Yesterday, they had sixty six thousand two hundred and fifty people attending day one. Now, this the first day last year was ninety one and a half thousand. Now, obviously, the weather was different, and there was probably a lot of the build up uh, to the weather as well uh, in the last couple of days about what it was going to be like. Uh, so people were probably watching that and saying maybe we won't go on the first day. The Wednesdays are actually meant to be the busiest day here at the Ploughing, and now. Even, even walking around, it doesn't feel as busy as it was on previous years. You've covered it before. You know what a kind of a melee is. It's you basically cannot move. You're just kind of moving along with the crowd uh, in a wave. And it's not like that at the moment. You can definitely get around a little bit easier, despite some of the, the site being uh, completely um, like you know, written off with, with the mud. So I'm not sure if they're going to get the record figures. They had been hoping for up to 300,000 over the three days. Unless today's are very good, it'll be hard to see how they will get up on that. I think last year the overall figure was something like 291,000. And of course this year as well, they urged people to book their tickets online. Um, and there was a bit of concern about that, you know, moving cashless, although they said it wasn't, it wasn't about that. It was about health and safety and knowing the numbers that are coming on uh, to, the, to the fields every day. Yesterday, 85, 85% of those tickets, of those uh, 66,000, uh, 85% were booked online. So certainly, you know, this is, this is the way it's going.
Um, you mentioned the um, like the attendance not maybe looking the same on day two, and I suppose there's, there's probably a factor that if people think that the weather has been so crap on day one that even if the weather is better on day two, they still think of the site as a bit of a mud bath and they're kind of turned off from going. Um, do you think that the organisers have been, like Richard said, are they a little bit disappointed with how it's going or have they just kind of accepted this is occupational hazard? Some years you get it good, some years you get it bad. You, you suck it up and you move on. Yeah, I think I think that's probably the case. But I was even talking to someone from the Irish Farmers Journal uh, earlier, one of the reporters, and I was asking him what did he think of the of the numbers, even walking around. And he said that he's felt even in the last few years, like this is the 92nd year of the National Ploughing uh, Championships, in the last couple of years that they're seeing probably less and less people, and it's maybe more about stands and that for farmers to come out. You know, years ago it was about selling perhaps cattle and machinery, and why you still have all of that, it's maybe more expensive for them to do it and they will say that they're not getting as good a price. So it's, it's a lot of effort to put in to come here for a couple of days if you're not going to uh, see the benefit. But I, I think, as you mentioned there, Richard, the social aspect is really, really important. The amount of people that we've met uh, over the last couple of days and I'm asking them, you know, what brings you back to the ploughing? And it's the friendships that they make over the years. And they might not see that person uh, for a year, but then they're able to catch up, whether that's in some of the farming tents or, or whether it's at the IFA tent or the ICMSA or the Farmer's Journal or wherever it is, you know, the machine are actually up at the ploughing itself and it's about those friendships that they've made uh, over the years and I've spoke to so many people who've initially commented for 20, 30, uh, 40 years so that's definitely a big part of it and of course after the pandemic over the last couple of years when they weren't able to do that uh, they're definitely enjoying that moment now. Can I ask you what the, the food offering and the prices are like even for like cups of coffee and stuff like that this year because I see there's been a couple of, of kids behind you who have been impeccably well behaved munching away on sandwiches and tinfoil behind you Surprise. doing a great job because you're a man now who knows all about people jig acting behind you these are really well behaved kids they're doing a great yeah. job there but like <laughs> what's the story with like the food offering this year like generally speaking any of these events they can be kind of expensive once you're down there to actually get fed and watered but uh, what's it been like this year? Uh, well, I was going to say, I, I, have, I haven't had time to eat. We're that busy, as right, you yeah. know, Richard, as a it's reporter a on the ground. You're, you're <laughs> flat out. Now, in fairness, we are based at the media centre as well, and there's a couple of uh, cups of teas and sandwiches knocking around for us. Uh, but there is, you know, huge catering um, facilities here as well. There's something like 800 staff working at 80 different catering spots. Uh, some stats I saw the other day that last year there was a quarter pounder burger sold every second. There was about 40,000 breakfast uh, sold every morning and over the three days around 85,000 85, cups of tea and coffee. So there are some of the numbers that you're looking at. Haven't heard too much people uh, giving out about the price of things and you know yourself when you go to a gig like this if you can get a bite to eat, if you can get, get it pr pretty quick, you're happy to pay whatever yeah. it is. But like all the big, um, the big chains are here and there's plenty of offering for people. I would say the family behind me probably, did you bring the lunch yourselves? Yeah, they were smart. <laughs> they brought their own lunch, you see. That's, That's the trick to it down here at the Plough. But an important trick of being able to sort of manage people behind you is to sort of engage them in conversation because like, it's been an interesting experiment with being in the newsroom watching you do your lives from Rathaniska because it sort of seems like they see a live camera and they see a microphone pop shield and immediately they're making a little donut around you. Like, it's, a, it's an interesting occupational hazard, isn't it? Yeah, even yesterday with the 12.30 news and when we were setting up and the president was on stage uh, giving the official uh, opening address, but we needed to set up for the news. And, you know, I was saying to uh, the camera op, Martin, yesterday, like, we, oh, we might show them, you know, some of the, you could see behind us the muck on the ground and how bad it was. I'd say once the camera was set up, once the mic was in place, we were surrounded mm. and they literally came out of nowhere. Um, but look, they were all, they were all enjoying it. There wasn't, you know... They, 
it was a bit of crack, yeah, but they were nice, delighted yeah. with themselves because the minute I stopped talking, uh, just when the, the, the grab was playing uh, for a couple of minutes, they started looking at themselves on the Virgin Media player and they were delighted <laughs> and they were all telling each other to send that to me and share that to me or whatever. So, look, that's part, that's part and parcel, I suppose, as you know, out and about on the road reporting. Um, and look, everyone is in, is in good spirits down here. Yeah. Um, it's actually, it's, it's a good point because like when you're in a situation like that and you have a crowd around you and you're reporting, you have no idea what's going to happen. Like, it's nice when you have a sort of an idea of what the crowd behind you is, if it's like kids or whatever, at the plough and like, I'm pretty sure you've had a decent idea that this is going to be a bit of crack. There's nothing going to be too malicious that's going to happen there. But um, it's, it's, it's tricky business when you're trying to focus on what you're saying down the line and you haven't a clue what's going on in your periphery at all. Oh yeah, and look, the rain then started pelting and I actually probably didn't even know what I was coherently saying until I watched it back at the end. And you have to kind of engage with them. You actually, do, yeah. the thing, I turned around to them and I said, look, I said, look, we're live, like, don't swear. And then I was like, why am I after telling like a group of 30 teenagers not to swear? Red rag to a I'm like, I've literally set myself up for disaster. But in fairness to them, they were grand. It was only a bit of crack. They were just delighted seeing themselves in the background. Uh, Paul, before we let you go, we, ha- we have to do a little bit of a BTS thing before we let you go for those who are watching us on TV. Can we get Alan Fraser, our cameraman, to tilt downwards and see what uh, state your wellies are in right now? <laughs> go on, the drama. The oh, in fairness, they're not too bad. No, that's there okay actually for day huh? two. You found, too bad. you found it dry enough, sort of it's like, yeah. um, how are Alan's wellies? Uh, now that he can shoot himself, you have to give us the lowdown on that. Like, they're actually quite similar. Oh, there we go. Oh, there you are. Oh, that's oh, proper play. job. Yeah, yeah. Wow. See, that's proper cake. Oh, sure, look, that's you... frontline front journalism right there. Frontline. That's what it is. See, you know, you can tell the Dublin journalists a lot, the, the, the sort of the, the Leinster House journalists who don't often get out of the place because they have super clean wellies whenever they go down to the ploughing <laughs> or they have no wellies at all. And they have sure, those... I'm, a good sli- I'm a good Sligo man. We Use these regularly. Absolutely, uh, they, those are worn wellies, and this is what I respect you for now, Paul. That, that's good stuff, you know. That's literal shoe leather journalism, is what it is. <laughs> Paul, thank you for giving us that front line uh, insight into everything that's going on in Rathaniska. Uh, good luck with getting out of the site, and good luck washing your rental car. <laughs> and uh, we will talk to you again. Bring us back some Thanks, Aldi uh, cow Stetson hats, would you? Will do. Will do. Excellent. Lovely. Man, Paul. Paul Quinn, thank you. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. So, Gavin, after ten long weeks, the doll has returned. Um, we talked there with Zara at the UN and Paul at the Ploughing, both of which have been magnets for government ministers. Tishig, Tornishta, uh, as well. 
There's no one left. No one left but in like, the house. It's, it's a long L. It's a long L break. And I know people often give out about how long the doll does depart for and it comes mm. back in September and yada, yada, yada. Mm. It, it finally can catch up on the backlog of thing, things which have built up, of which there are many. Mm. Um, but I mean, what, what, what's your read on the entire situation? Because it's so weird that they're just back. Yeah. And nobody is actually here in Dublin. For yeah, th- that's what I think is kind of strangest about it. Someone was saying that it's the first time ever that the doll has returned from recess and that neither the Taoiseach nor the Taunister are there. Now, to a certain degree, we can't control the fact that the UN General Assembly clashed with the week they're coming back, so they kind of have to be away and that's an occupational hazard and that's fine. I would question whether they needed to be off for 69 days uh, to not sit for nine full weeks, um, particularly when... If you go just even look through the stuff that the government itself wants to achieve. You know, for example, we were talking last week about some of the changes that they're going to make to witness statements. So if you give somebody a character reference in the course of a trial where they're accused of a sexual offence or something, um, that in future that will be under oath and that they could be cross-examined in court for doing that. The law to allow for that was published a few months ago. Hasn't yet once been debated at all Mm. inside Leinster House. And you'd think... You know, couldn't you have come back a week earlier and maybe just started to, to break the, the back on that? Mm-hmm. Why are you hanging around for so long? Uh, there's other bits and pieces as well. Like, so, for example, um, that legislation, there's one which would make it a crime to um, groom children uh, to be involved in organised crime, sitting there kind of effectively untouched. Uh, the idea of a referendum uh, to allow citizens outside of the state to vote for a president. Yeah. I mean, that's been promised for years. They're talking about trying to have it in place before the next presidential election, which is only a couple of years away. So you kind of want to get started on it, sitting there undebated. And like, I sort of feel like I, I don't begrudge politicians recess because they're not totally gone. They're, they're working hours during term time. They're full are, on, yeah. Are horrendous. Yeah, they are and full I do on, not yeah. begrudge them a couple of weeks where they're totally disconnected. But I kind of wonder whether it needs to be nine weeks off when there's so many just other bits and pieces that you could be doing and getting your teeth into instead of just being away for so long. And the worst bit is they're back Wednesday afternoon. Simon Coveney is presiding at Leaders Questions again because there's no T-shirt or mm. Michal Martin is back or should be back in the country in time for Thursday. Won't be going to the Dole as is customary. On a Thursday, Taunista takes Leaders Questions. Michal Martin is not because he's going to Rathaniska. Uh, mm. because it's more important to shake hands at the playing championships than to actually be in the Dole, being accountable for your work. Well, uh, the Dole rises again. Mm. After coming back for 69 days off, the Dole rises again on Thursday afternoon, early evening, not back again till next Tuesday. Gone again. I just, uh, yeah, I find it hard to justify in this day and age, given the amount of societal problems that we have and the amount of important legislation which is sitting there on the back burner mm. for a long, long time. I just don't understand how the political mechanism in the country, and I think this is what gets people really downbeat about how the country is run yeah. and how things are supposed to be fixed. Like, even when it comes down to like local government matters, the wheels of change and progress are just so slow and so impeded that this just feels like another natural thing, which is actually very controllable. You can just say, well, look, can we not just come back earlier? Can we yeah. come and debate some of these issues? We have a backlog of legislation which we want to do. And yet, no, like, I don't begrudge a Taoiseach or a Taunus to going off to the United Nations for a high-level week. No, that, that's not glamour. That's work. The whole, like, contingent, that, that's going. the whole contingent of, you know, each of the three party leaders plus the health minister going over at the same time as opposed to, like, staggering it even. Mm. I just think that's pretty not great. Plus, I mean, the, the ploughing is important and it is a chance for people to meet voters, listen to farming groups, which we've talked about before yeah. being a, having a major influence on how particularly this coalition mm-hmm. does business around farming mm. and the environment and the climate as well. But it just smacks to me of just eye off the ball, letting priority slip. Like there's multiple reports out over the last week or so around the issues of homelessness, 
around, you know, there's the ESRI thing on um, report on rents yeah. and how high they are for new rents. Mm. Uh, so people who find themselves with tenancy ended, they're faced with an enormous bill. How much higher have the numbers in emergency accommodation gone in the nine weeks since the Dole last Completely, act? yeah. No sense of public discussion or debate around it. I have a question, actually. Do you think this is a bit valedictory as a, as a government thing, like that they're all off, you know, each of the party leaders of the coalition are going off to do sustainable goals and sustainable mm-hmm. development of the United Nations as opposed to the thing like this is meant to be this is meant to be a, a full term coalition yeah. right but they're meant to and they're meant to say we're going to be ones who fix housing we're going to fix you know childcare we're going to fix all these things mm-hmm. and we have a big big budget and it's the most crucial budget lifetime of this yeah, coalition three, within three weeks it'll be done they're not and, there and 11 billion euros and they're, they're not there. around yeah. for the start of it all uh, is it a bit validatory <laughs> I'd, I'd like to think no, because if you just think about what's going on at the General Assembly this week, when there's, you know, they're talking about trying to basically reboot the Sustainable Development Goals, which Ireland actually was a big part in Huge. getting uh, produced. Actually, yeah, as an in international achievement for Ireland, yeah. those are the time. For Ireland to put good. that on the agenda is, yeah. is a genuine achievement. So I don't begrudge the Minister for Foreign Affairs and the Minister for Climate Issues both going to try and be part of that. But it's very unfortunate that that's happening the same week as the General Assembly. So the Taoiseach is also gone. So we've got our three coalition leaders. And then on the side, there's talk about work in a future pandemic prevention, preventation, preventment, prevention, prevention, prevention. Thank you. Prevention. Yeah. It's been a long week already. Um, Prevention treaty. And that's what Stephen Donnelly is there for. So there's a little bit of legwork to be done on that. But yeah, yeah, you'd sort of question whether they all need to be gone at the same time or or could there have been some degree of of staggering of it? I mean, speaking speaking of Stephen Donnelly, another thing which hasn't been done. How many times in the course of us doing this podcast over the last 18 months has there been some discussion on uh, what the government is calling safe access zones and whether it's appropriate or fair or proportionate to uh, ban people from protesting effectively or to put some limit on how people can gather near places where terminations of pregnancy might be carried out. That, that's a, a sensitive debate and it's a debate that needs to happen and it's a debate that needs to be given time to be fully sounded out. That's legislation that the government published and has done nothing Zero. with. Zero. Sitting there, which now can't be debated because, you know, okay, Stephen Donnelly's in New York, but bottlenecks are created by the government just deciding not to bring the doll back, uh, you know, a week earlier. The Shannon, by the way, doesn't even have a date yeah. for coming back. The, the Shannon rose in the same time, it's off for 10 weeks now, doesn't even have a date from which it's coming back because the doll is considering so little, mm. the doll is, is considering so few up. legislation, there is nothing for the Shannon to consider. Come here, because this is actually, like you mentioned Stephen Donnelly being away, because now it also, when you have a situation where each of your government leaders and serious ministers are abroad for a thing which people will debate, you know, the actual impact of them being there for it. Uh, and I know some world leaders actually skip yeah. Ungad, the General Assembly in high-level week because they're like, well, it doesn't really make any difference. I need to focus on domestic yeah. matters. They've been listening to Michael D. Higgins. They've decided it's a talking shop. 100%. Yeah. But like Stephen Donnelly being there for the, like, for the duration he's there for, I'm not exactly sure how many days he's out in, in, in New York for, but it just creates a situation where now he's been asked to return to the country to respond to the Temple Street Children's yeah. Centre Ireland situation around spinal surgeries. And like that just creates a political target on your back, I feel, as a minister or as a government, if you're out doing things which are nice things to go to. Mm. And I mean, pandemic preparation and preparedness is something the world needs to get a lot better at, obviously. But, but is it something that needs a minister to be on site to do? Could could you not have some some other, other diplomats from, from the, the mission to the UN? Could yeah. they not sit in on those things? And, and I hate talking about COVID unless we actually need to talk about COVID. But like, surely if you're going to be talking about pandemic preparation, the guy to send over isn't the political minister who won't be the minister for health in about 
three, four, five years time. Mm. Like it doesn't matter if this co- if this coalition is returned, it's not going to be Stephen Donnelly who's going to have the hands on the lever for the pandemic. Well, it just think, isn't good. Well, it's just, that's that's just fair, just but I think if you took that attitude on a worldwide level, you'd never get anything. Done no, because... but like, but departments of health and you know health services around the world, like the United States, would probably send, and they probably have sent whatever their Secretary of Health or whatever mm. as well. But they'll send their bigwigs from each of the like, you know, their epidemiological groups, yeah. all that sort of stuff. You send, send your scientists, send your scientists yeah. to CMOs or whatever like that along to these things because yeah. they're the people who are going to have to train the, the people who are going to really be the ones to respond to these things. Mm. So just kind of feel, once again, in terms of criticising the United Nations, Michael D. Higgins <laughs> has been proven right in standing around in a field in Rathenisca as opposed to going to the United Nations. Uh, of course, in the media world and across the water, the biggest story of the week has been the Channel 4 and Sunday Times joint investigation into Russell Brand uh, with several women coming forward to allege that they have been uh, raped or sexually abused by him systematically over uh, quite a window. Um, to me, Richard, and I, I, I don't mean to immediately sort of park the, the nature and the seriousness of the allegations. To me, the most depressing thing about this has been the degree to which some people will immediately leap to the defence of somebody who's been the target of these sorts of accusations without even knowing what they are. Like There was that clip on GB News of a presenter who had immediately said that Russell Brand was a hero before having even heard what the allegations that he was facing were. And yeah. I think we sort of at least have to hear these things out. It, it, that is wholeheartedly depressing how predictable that was, that you had... Uh, a real rogues gallery of people. Um, you had your Elon Musks, you had your Alex Jones, of course, of defaming the Sandy Hook family's fame mm. or infamy. Uh, a lot of those online conspiracy theories, which is something which Russell Brand himself had cloaked himself in yeah. in recent years, uh, moving from just doing comedy, crap comedy in, in many ways, and being this uh, kind of boring student union political type using big words in interviews with Ed Miliband and releasing uh, mm. really stupid books. Well, because there's people um, who now think that he's been the subject of these allegations because he is a threat to the mainstream media because he's managed to manufacture a platform that doesn't involve a TV station. Well, well this is the thing. And I think a lot of other podcasts and a lot of other shows will do a better job of getting into the, the nub of the issue in, it, in the time that we have. But one of the women who has come forward to speak out about Russell Brand said that she believed that this was entirely predictable, that Russell Brand, in her view, had over the years cultivated this I'm an anti-establishment renegade rebel uh, persona and building up all these shows, platforming a lot of completely discredited people just to have that conspiracy theory shield that when something like this happened Mm -hmm. and would come along when he would finally be confronted with allegations put against him of this nature that he would be able to say this is a conspiracy to take me down and he would have an audience of people who would believe it. Um, it was very interesting to see. I've heard a couple of different uh, discussions around this. Um, people like Ben Smith, the um, really, really um, brilliant journalist. I think he was formerly the New York Times, maybe still. Is. Yeah, oh, he's semaphore. Semaphore, no, semaphore yes. Yeah. But he was basically saying that he doesn't believe that Russell Brand will be able to, that will actually work as a defence for Russell Brand. Obviously, Russell Brand denies the allegations against him. There is a catalogue of issues, though, besides the allegations, which point to a high level of misogyny there on behalf of Russell Brand, which cannot be denied. Mm. Um so he says he doesn't believe that Russell Brand will actually be successful in this, in that Donald Trump can say this is a conspiracy to take me down about all of his criminal charges mm. because 40% of America will believe anything he says. Russell Brand has a very small platform of people around him. Yeah. So it doesn't really work in the same way. But I think what's been interesting about it is um, how many people 
just the, the documentary itself put forward by Channel 4 and the extraordinary reporting in the Sunday Times And it really well. was. Like that, that is such an incredible amount of donkey work to go through. Like they were working on that for four years and anyone who's worked in the media knows that you can't even put allegations out like that. And by the way, nobody's convicting him. Mm-hmm. They're merely just repeating the allegations. But such is media law and libel law that you really need to have an extraordinary level of due diligence before any lawyer will let you do that. And and it's a credit to them that they were just even had the resourcing of the initiative to put that much work into it. I think that's absolutely the case. And I think what's interesting about it is for a lot of people, it's drawn into focus how bad the 2000s were. Um, and that's not a huge amount of time ago no. in terms of what was permitted and what was actually broadcast, because that's actually one of the most startling things in the documentary, is that if you look at things that Russell Brand said on TV, what he promoted, the things that he did in the podcast, remember Saxgate? Actually, one yeah. of the things about Saxgate, which was, of course, when he pranked himself and Jonathan Ross, prank called Andrew Sachs, who played yeah, Manuel, Manuel in yeah. Fan- Faulty Towers, in which Jonathan Ross and uh, Russell, Brand. Russell Brand basically mocked Andrew Sachs on his voicemail about yeah. Russell Brand having sex with his granddaughter mm. um, was that everybody was like oh poor Andrew Sachs there was not a word said about his granddaughter in anything she was completely ignored all yeah. the apologies were towards Andrew Sachs in that whole thing yeah 100% the 2000s were a brutal time I think mm. there's actually going to be more about that as we go along but again there was also I think it was the former head of news of Channel 4 came out yesterday and she was very heavily criticised because she was talking about this is a lot of stuff which was to- tolerated and w- a lot of stuff which we have, we have now exposed in terms of what happened in the TV industry. Things weren't just exposed and just happened in the TV industry. A lot of things were facilitated. And that's why the BBC has also now looking at uh, whether or not any cars were given or uh, rented by the BBC for use by Russell Brand because one of the central allegations put against Russell Brand is the fact that a car was sent by him to collect a 16-year-old girl, girl mm-hmm. from school um, which is absolutely staggering uh, and shocking in its nature. Again, I think it's it again points to a lot the way that the discussion has kind of unfolded into terms of focusing on whether or not you know this is a conspiracy to take down Russell Brand or what's all behind this. Is that the victims of this of these instances are always forgotten about. And I think that that's going yeah. to be something which needs to be focused on over the time ahead. Yes, yeah, so, which is why I wanted to say that up front that I didn't want to immediately just erase that mm. from the story. But it is just, you know, from working in the media, it's fascinating to see how all that will play out. And, and I do suspect that it will be an interesting little watershed if Russell Brand's small manufactured core of loyalists who think that the whole thing is a conspiracy, whether that does win out or manage to sort of mitigate his yeah. reputation in any way. Um, on a totally separate note, before we go, um, there is a question here that I have to ask you and I ask it with some trepidation. Uh, how regularly, Richard Chambers, do you think about the Roman Empire? This is, this is so you, you asked this question and it is a good question. Uh, I would say once every couple of weeks, I think I would it's get around to it. It's a good question. Because Why it is, is a, it a good question? It's the question the internet has been asking itself. Does it make it a good question? It's a good question. I don't understand why it's a good question. Right, so the question was posed by a Swedish person, a uh, woman on TikTok. Uh, she basically suggested to people that they ask the men in their lives how often they think about the Roman mm. Empire. And the answer is surprisingly a lot. Uh, men, whether they be dads, owlads, granddads, or even young uh, nerdy people online who would play like games like Rome Total War uh, and stuff like that or yeah. watch Gladiator. Yeah. Think about the Roman Empire a lot. They uh, do. Uh, genuinely, genuinely, do you think about the Roman Empire every couple of weeks? 
I think they would come up like I, you, other, than, other than literally the circumstances of this question I cannot even think of the last well, time I would call like, the Roman you, Empire you think about how the world works and how difficult it is to run anything these days and you think about it like this empire 2000 years ago which is able to put roads which still exist around Europe no. uh, trade with India uh, and whatnot. A recommendation, actually, for okay, a, a, a book. Yeah. Uh, if you want to get as, it. as someone who did not do junior leaving cert history, which might, by the way, be the reason why I don't staggering, think staggering. Staggering, I think, to be honest. Rome, Roman history, fascinating, extreme. S P Q R by Mary Beard. There's a woman now okay. who thinks a lot about uh, the Roman Empire as well. That's she does. Yeah. No one ever asks the women how often they think about the Roman. I, I, I do. I wish Sarah was here to ask that question because it's it's fascinating the different elements of Roman life that people come up with. Some people think about gladiators a lot. Some people think about you know. Mm. I don't know, different empires and Caligula and all the sort of the excess and largest. I, I guess the, the next time I think about a sauna or uh, running water or modern plumbing, I'm probably going to be... Aqueducts. Yeah. Aqueducts. What have the Romans ever done for us, Cav? Other than the strange language, Romans and the aqueducts coinage. and language and the Roman numerals. Yeah. No, the Roman numerals. Actually, you know what? The Roman numerals. There you go. I probably, I probably should think about it now more, more often than not. Uh, if you regularly think about the Roman Empire, uh, please, for the love of God, get in touch and explain why because I just don't know how it would come up in your other We're doing a Rome special next week. When we have Zara back, we're, we're springing it upon her. We're going to have guys in costumes <laughs> <Yes>. doing re- <laughs> no, historical reenactors. Tell her, nobody tell her we're going to be wearing the full regalia as if we're like centurions in the Colosseum. Rufus Chattis will be back. That, uh, tune in next week for that one. Um, <laughs> thank you to everybody in the production gallery. Thank you to Zara and to John McKenna in New York. Thank you to Paul Quinn and to Alan Fraser in Rathaniska. Uh, thanks to everyone involved in putting the whole thing together. And thank you for being with us. Uh, I've been Gavin Riley. He's been Richard Chambers and we will see you back with Sarah King next week. Until then, bye-bye. Ave. <laughs> <laughs>